Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Thursday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Today we got old pal Michael Borky, Super Talk, Do It All Man on Sports Talk Mississippi, three to six every Monday through Friday. On to talk Ole Miss on the verge of hiring Chris Beard. Some baseball stuff, little Pelicans corner at the end, some spring football, and some the usual menu of miscellaneous items in between. But definitely the Ole Miss basketball coaching search and impending hire was the topic of conversation. So buckle up. I think you'll enjoy the conversation. Before we get to that, though, I want to remind you, the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Need to check these guys out. March Madness is coming up. We're already in the midst of March Madness, really, but the NCAA tournament's coming up. They crush it every single year in college basketball. I can essentially guarantee you that if you use Skybox to the NCAA tournament, you will wake up in April a winner. Their NASCAR package had a 34.95-plus unit weekend this weekend. That seems handy. They're entering their prime season. You need to check them out. Sign up for a picks package that fits your price range. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. You can do all sports. You can do sports-centric. Whatever the case may be, you're going to find a picks package that fits your price range. So type in the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and that'll get you 20% off. Then they're going to email you the picks in a nice little color-coded spreadsheet organized by unit, and boom, you're well-equipped to profit through the month of March and beyond. They're the best in the business. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg if you're a Rippy Wright subscriber. That's rippywrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me and discounted meats. Right now, it is three baked, six ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. That's about a $40 valuation there for 20 bucks for you. That's a hell of a way to kickstart your growing weekend. Go in there, show him proof of subscription. He'll give you those. You can go grill them with your buddies. Then go find your own favorites at LB's. There's all kinds of delicious stuff. Incredible selection of sausages, seafood, different cuts of meat. I love the tri-tip. We just had a grill corner on Friday that hopefully made you hungry listening to. It's the best butcher shop in the world. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here is Michael Borky. All right, we now welcome on Super Talk Mississippi. Do it all, man. Michael Borky, Sports Talk Mississippi, 3 to 6 every Monday through Friday. Um, live stream on Wednesday nights. You do them on Sundays, too? Is that correct? Yeah, Wednesday and Sunday. I uh, I saw it last night as I was driving, and I was like, you know, I could tune in, but setting up this YouTube thing, uh, clicking a link on YouTube while I'm driving a car could get a little dicey. Um, but I saw you were live last night. Of course, plenty to discuss. This is like the greatest time of the year in a lot of senses. Weather's warming up. You're kind of inching toward conference play in baseball. You've got March Madness. You got the Players Championship. There's just a lot going on. I don't understand. I don't know why, but like whenever the calendar turns to like early to mid March, it's just a very great time on the calendar for people who discuss sports for a living or as a side hustle. Yeah, it is a great time, and uh, especially when you have a unique situation where the team that one of the two major teams that you cover won a conference tournament game last night, they (laughs) played in the game, won the game and nobody wants to hear you talk about the game that they won, but they want you to talk about the program, just not the actual game itself. It's, it's kind of funny that way. I understand it. I'm not making fun. I, I, I engaged in that. I, I will not spend a second, didn't last night, won't today, talking about a dribble in the basketball game last night. 
but you're, you're still talking about the program at length. It's kind of funny. I didn't even watch. I had some work I needed to get done. I was catching up on a couple writing things as well that I'll drop later this week. And so I didn't even really watch it because as you mentioned, it's, it's, it's relevant in a lot of senses and it's, it's a credit to them though. when K seems like a really good dude, I've talked to him back when he was first on the staff on a couple of different occasions, just a very impressive guy to listen to talk. Like there's a couple of guys out there that I've covered through the years, particularly in like basketball where they like grab a microphone. You're like, damn, I could listen to this guy talk for a while. When case is certainly one of them. And those guys deserve credit for not quitting. Look, whatever, as bad as it got with the Kermit Davis aspect, they never mailed it in. Remember that last year, AK-wise, after that loss, I'd say at Texas A&M, they had a couple games after that that didn't go their way, but that felt like the breaking point. And they just kind of mailed it in. And it's not really knocked anyone on that team or that staff or whatever. But in this case, you really can't, like, those guys never quit. They play their ass off. They're just not very good. Yeah, I, I do think, though, that there are a handful of guys, which it, it sounds kind of condescending, honestly, but but there's a handful of guys on that team that presumably Chris Beard, I think, will want to keep and can win with. It's not all 13 of them or however many is on the roster anymore. It, it's not all of them, but there's a, a good four guys that I think with the right coaching and scheme and then other players around them, obviously, that you can win with. There, there's potential there with Abram, for example. There's a lot of potential there. I think Brightfield's a guy that you're going to want to keep. Do you want him to be your first scorer and, and your 1A guy? Well, well, no, but character paired with ability, you can win with guys like him on your team. So there's four or five, maybe five of them, that I think Chris Beard can make useful and win with. And I think we're seeing that with how... Cl- like they play hard and they've been in close games and they can't close them out because they're not good enough. But I do think there are guys there that you can win with. Abram's a nice player and he had a really good stint early in the season while uh, Ruffin was hurt. And then when Ruffin came back, it seemed to work to Abram's detriment a little bit and it never just really worked out. And then Ruffin obviously left the team or whatever, took a break from basketball. I don't know the right terminology. I know he was on the bench for a little bit. So yeah, he came back after that's a weird deal. Uh, He came back to the, the team bench after Kermit was fired. Yeah, which, whatever you want to call it, he is not shooting up and playing hoops, which I think, you know, if on an individual level, probably worked to Abram's benefit a little bit. It seems like he those two had a trouble gelling, and then him him roughing being off the court kind of opened up Abram a little bit, and he's made good on it. Again, they don't have much offensive firepower, but he certainly provided them some sort of boost there. And there are a couple pieces that I think the new coach – We'll, uh, we'll have to work with or at least evaluate in terms of like keeping a roster together, which uh, I guess leads us to the main topic we were going to cover today. What a time um, in Ole Miss basketball. So Yeah, spring practice breakdowns. Oh, oh wait. Yeah. Oh, you wanna... Let's go through the depth chart <laughs> or break down the Purdue series this weekend. Although, um, on that note, can I stop you? Because I've got a question. So you and I have talked about privately uh, the, the possibility of Spencer Sanders having re-injured his shoulder. And, and people have reported that he's not throwing. But they, I mean, all the time are putting pictures out there of him working out with the team, what seem to be pretty intense workouts. But he is in a black jersey, like a non-contact jersey. So is his shoulder really hurt? And if so, how can you work out if your shoulder's hurt to the point where you still can't throw yet? I am so confused by it, and I've asked around, and I can't get anywhere on it. Like, is he actually still not throwing a football? If so, how can he work out? And nobody can answer that for me. I have no idea what to think of. 
I don't really understand it either. And basically, I've just resigned myself to, hey, when they start spring practice, I'm sure someone will take some video. You'll get some sort of report from one of the poor souls that has to go cover those things in person. And then they shut throwing it down. A football or no not throwing a football. And then at that point, I'll make a decision on what I think about that at that point. I don't understand how you really come in and compete for the job if you're injured for most of the spring. It's a very weird dynamic. And I guess real quick on that note, you know, talk about all the stuff going on. Is spring football, I don't want to say as worthless as ever, but in terms of like our profession or our business analyzing things, like obviously it's valuable for the coaches and the players and all that. I'm not devaluing it from that sense. But with the portal and everything else going on, is spring football as worthless as ever in terms of making determinations about the football team? Because I don't even know if the roster is going to look like, you know, remotely similar to what it does now in the post spring, because you're going to have the transfer portal. No, I just don't know what to make of spring football anymore. Especially at places like Ole Miss that I know Spencer Sanders is here and and that complicates things some, but you, you return your head coach and your offensive coordinator and your quarterback. So how much in the spring can you actually like watch and take away from when there's that much continuity there? And it's not like we're going to see like the depth of Pete Golding's defense anyway, to make a determination there either. So for, for places like Ole Miss, there's very little to take away. And to your point, like we can watch the linebacker room and see what that looks like because, but is that the linebacker room? Is that who they're going to have in the linebacker room come training camp as opposed to right now? And I, I don't mean just adding guys, but like, will Sistrunk get back into the portal? Will he leave after? Like, those kind of things, you don't even know. At a place like Mississippi State, spring's a little bit more interesting. New coach, they're, they're changing the offense. Can Will Rogers operate an offense that wasn't extremely quarterback friendly? And... It, Around here, people aren't going to talk about it that much, especially by the end of last season. Pocket awareness was terrible and awful and did not consistently throw the football vertically. Can he even do that? And when a system is not catch the snap, throw a five-yard hitch, is he capable of producing in the SEC with a new system? By the way, they're going to go through spring practice without a tight end. They've got two in the portal coming but they won't be at Mississippi state until after the spring. So they've got like a converted like defensive end or something in like a converted wide receiver playing tight end for them this spring as they're implementing their new system that features the tight end. So they're interesting. Most people aren't. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, I guess a program by program thing in like terms of degree, varying degrees of interest. I wouldn't call Ole Miss a very interesting team in the spring. I can already see the golding storylines already. They're going to show nothing. They'll do a bunch of random stuff in the spring game, and then they'll talk about how multiple they're going to be on defense. Then we're just going to be left to sit there and be like, what the hell does that actually mean <laughs> throughout the summer until we get into fall camp? And that's when you actually start learning stuff about the team. So we'll see. Maybe we'll learn something surprising in the spring. I uh, doubt it. What we have learned over the last couple of days, though, is Ole Miss is on the verge of hiring a new basketball coach, and all signs point toward it being Chris Spears. We record this in the middle of the day around lunchtime on th- Thursday. Uh, it... It has. It's not done yet. It has not been announced. It seems like particularly reading the tea leaves last night and kind of getting some buzz from what's going on and what people are talking about in Nashville at the SEC tournament. It seems like it's close enough to being done to where should Ole Miss lose on Thursday? I don't even know when they play. What time does Ole Miss play? Is it a night game? Uh, Let's see. I got the schedule up here in front of me. I've been doing show notes. Um, They play at two. Okay, so – 
should Ole Miss lose in the SEC basketball tournament today to Tennessee, which I think most people expect them to do, there could be an announcement shortly. Um, I don't know exactly where things stand, but again, it seems pretty far down the road. And that all signs point toward Chris Beard being the Ole Miss basketball coach. There's a million different places we could start with that. I was, um, once it started trending that way around, you started picking up some buzz over the weekend, Sunday night, and then Monday there was a report that they met. No one seems to know where that meeting occurred, but it was uh, reported by uh, one of the outlets here in town and then confirmed by a couple others. And so it does seem like that at this point happened, and then they've gotten further down the road since. I was surprised it took that turn back to Beard. It seemed like initially that he was kind of in the mix in terms of people they were considering, they were vetting. Things kind of went quiet toward the end of last week. I did have one person who would certainly know um, that I've talked to throughout this process that thought even when it got quiet, it's possible that it's just a little bit of a smoke screen and they're trying to keep it quiet um, as they do, you know, go through other candidates, but they were always going to come back to Beard. He put that out there as a possibility and that turned out to be pretty prophetic. I don't know what to make of this. I think it's a good hire from a basketball sense. That's a very important qualifier. I think it it injects a splash of life into the program. I think it will get people interested. But also, there's the other very complicated elephant in the room regarding, um, you know, why he got fired at Texas and the you know being a, arrested for third degree family assault assault on a family member, domestic violence, basically charges being dropped. There's so much to package here. I don't exactly know what to make of the hire. I was trying to write about it last night and like I had to stop because I just don't like, I haven't been able to formally formulate my thoughts. I think it is a overall, probably a good hire for Ole Miss in terms of it generating wins and an increased interest in the basketball program. I just don't know what to make of everything else. How do you see this? Yeah, it, it's complicated, right? It, and I, I've been frustrated a little bit with, with some of the feedback that that I've gotten talking about this when people would say things like, it's so simple, just hire him. And and I, I would always push back and say, it is not that simple. You can't hear that, can you? Sorry, ESPN pre-roll ads. No, no, you're um, good. Uh, but, but it's not simple. This process is anything but simple for Keith Carter in trying to get this done. Um, both sides of this are interesting, right? Because from a basketball perspective, I think this is the safest hire that Keith Carter could made and it, it could have made. And by safe, I mean most likely to produce high-level basketball results. This is the safest hire he could have made, the most likely candidate that they could have hired in terms of this guy's going to come in and he's going to recruit well and he's going to develop well and he's going to win basketball games basically right away. I mean, I what's crazy is I don't even know who's going to be on the team. And I know that people are going to use what happened against him in recruiting. So maybe that, that slows some of this down a little bit, but I don't even know what the team's going to look like, but I would be willing to bet that they are immediately like competitive to the point where you're having conversations about tournament resume next year. I think he is that good to where you can have you. I wouldn't be surprised if you're having those, here's what they have to do to make the tournament conversations as early as next season. He's that good. And it's that safe. On the flip side, when people have said to me, when we've talked about this, there's no downside. There, there, it's, it's a no-brainer. There's no risk. I see, there is a massive risk here, especially individually for Keith Carter. Just think about Keith Carter for a second. If he would have hired Dusty May, a lot of people wouldn't have liked it, would have called it safe, would have called it good old boy, whatever. And in four years, Dusty May doesn't work out. That doesn't end Keith Carter's career. 
It doesn't end his career at Ole Miss as long as football's going well. Making a lukewarm basketball hire at Ole Miss isn't a career ender. But let's pretend that he hires Chris Beard and then something like that happens again. That's possibly a career ender individually for Keith Carter. Hiring the guy fresh off of an arrest of that nature to have it happen again under your watch possibly ends your career. That, that, is, that is a risk that he is taking individually, and he's got to be really confident in, in what they found in their vetting process. As far as I understand it, they went into it expecting to be turned off, and the exact opposite happened. So that's a, a good sign to, to start. But when you say there's no risk, there is absolutely a risk. Not from a basketball perspective, though. There is zero on the basketball side. Yeah, and that's the that's what makes this such a very interesting dynamic is that, as you mentioned, it's the best, it's the safest hire from strictly a basketball standpoint because it's the by far the best coach available on the market. Like, not even just the best coach that Ole Miss could realistically get. I think there is a, I think he's the best available coach, period. I mean, it's a guy that's won everywhere he's gone. He won 30 games at Little Rock in the one year he was there and won an NCAA tournament game. He took the, Texas Tech, not exactly known as a great power in a basketball job. Although when I was looking back, Tubby Smith did a lot better job there than I remembered before he took the uh, Memphis gig. But be that as it may, takes them to an Elite Eight, takes them to a national title game, then takes them to the round of 32 the next year after they lost a decent bit off of that roster. He's won everywhere he's gone, and he's a caliber of coach that Ole Miss could not even really sniff in a normal scenario without this baggage. And so I think that's what makes it such a very interesting dynamic is – the fact that it's like, how much do you value winning? Like how much of risk are you willing to take on? I mean, that's kind of the whole question in all of this, when it comes to Ole Miss and this hire. And I guess if it, you know, all signs point toward him becoming the head coach, Keith Carter was willing to take on whatever that risk was. And I struggle with the fact of like what exactly that risk is because in reality, you're going to take a media beating for three, four days. But with the way our news cycle is, when you get this done, you'll have the press conference, you'll have people knock the hire, right? You know, in some senses, rightfully so, whether it's genuine or not, because of what Beard did that night and everything that had transpired since. But then, because we have such a microwave society and the news cycle runs so fast, it's going, they're going to forget about it pretty quickly. And then it's going to become really not a story after that. So I wonder, like, what the risk is you mentioned like you know say they hire beard and something happens again like is that a career ender for keith carter like in one sense i could see it but at the same time i imagine there's going to be some kind of language in the contract where if he slips up in any way at all they're out he's fired for cause and they can kind of wash their hands of it but like absent but like if you're old miss you can't wash your hands uh, of it w- with what is in the contract i mean it, it, it's it because it happened before and you hired him shortly, because an arrest happened before, I wasn't there, I don't know what happened, but because an arrest happened before, if something like that happens again under your watch, it does make it different for you than it was for Texas. So, uh, yes, no, no, I absolutely agree with that. It does make it different because you hired the guy knowing his past history. But, like, I just wonder from, like, the risk of the Keith Carter and the athletic standpoint, yes, that would be a gigantic black eye and a a huge – um, really just an indictment on Ole Miss and the athletic department. But, like, would that cost Keith Carter a job? You know what I mean? Like, Maybe not. Some kind of gigantic scandal. I mean, look, this is a yeah. very, like, 
dark turn to take it. But like, you know, Art Bryles, like a Baylor type scandal. Of course, everyone loses their job, their heads roll and rightfully so. But like if he gets in trouble again with something similar or maybe something different, like I, I don't know what that means for the guy that hired him. You know what I mean? Like obviously there's yeah. risk. There. It doesn't look great. But how big of a risk is that? Does that cost you your job? I don't know the answer to that. I would almost lean no without knowing what this hypothetical trouble would be. You know what I mean? Sure, I just wonder yeah, what yeah. exactly it means for Keith Carter. Yeah, maybe I, there was some hyperbole in my statement, actually. Maybe, maybe it wouldn't be, but you risk that it's possible that it is? Yeah. I, I guess is, is really what I'm getting at. But then what happens if nothing happens? You hired an elite-level basketball coach that you never could have gotten otherwise, and you made a good point there. So I, I've said this on the radio show. I've said this on a podcast. So if if you listen to either of those, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to sound like a, a broken clock, but... I've thought about this a lot, and be, be, hear me out entirely before you guys start calling me woke or whatever. I think that college sports should be about more than just winning. I also understand that it's not. For example, Brandon Miller at Alabama. I don't think he should be playing right now. I think if Alabama were to do right by the guy, they would have punished him in some way even though what he did apparently is not criminal because he was not charged with a crime, being in Nate Oates's words in the, quote, wrong place at the wrong time could have cost him everything. Everything. Bullets flew. It could have cost him his life. It could have cost him his career. And Brandon Miller is just a few months away from being the face of a multi-billion dollar franchise. He needed, if Alabama cared about more than winning, they should have taught him a hard lesson about actions and consequences and what it can cost you. It can cost your team a championship. It could cost you your career. It could cost you your life. I mean, he is he is up against the possibility of having life-altering money for his children's children. And he almost threw it all away by, in Nate Oates' words, being in the, quote, wrong place at the wrong time. What a description. That guy shouldn't be playing. He shouldn't be playing. But he is. Why is he playing? Because he's six foot nine, makes forty three percent of his threes, and he is the reason that Alabama is a championship caliber team. I don't think Hugh Freeze should be the coach at Auburn, not because he got Ole Miss in NCAA trouble, but because of other stuff that happened at Ole Miss, and because of what has happened elsewhere, thanks to the reporting at AL.com. But why is Hugh Freeze the coach at Auburn? Because he, he beat Nick Saban. Because he wins. Why is James Franklin the head coach at Penn State of all places after what happened at Vanderbilt? Because no one wins. talks about ever, by the way. No one talks about that ever. But but James Franklin's at Penn State. Bobby Petrino is in the SEC. And so I think that college sports should be more than just winning. I don't think Auburn should have hired Hugh Freeze. I don't think Brandon Miller should be playing at Alabama. But they are. And I'm not naive and I'm not stupid. That's all college sports are about. And so while in principle, you shouldn't do something bad because somebody else does something bad. But when somebody says to me, if you freeze can coach at Auburn and Brandon Miller can coach at Alabama or play at Alabama, then Chris Beard can coach at Ole Miss. I don't have a good counter argument. I can't point the finger and say, you're wrong for putting wins above anything else, even if it's true or not true, or if it was an arrest or a conviction or good reporting or bad reporting or somewhere in between muddy waters, whatever it is, whatever happened to all of these people, 
whether it was reported accurately or unfairly, or they're being mistreated in the media or treated perfectly, I can't point the finger at Ole Miss and say, you are wrong for hiring a guy that you know is going to win when everybody else in college sports does the exact same thing because they win. If it was about more than winning, Mark Rick would still be coaching at Georgia. Kermit Davis would still be coaching basketball at Ole Miss. Gene Chizik would still be coaching at Auburn. But none of them are because they didn't win enough. That is all it's about. And so when you've got these people, because you know it's coming, there's going to be a lot of negative reaction to this for 48 hours. I had somebody ask me last night, what should Ole Miss's PR strategy be? I said, just wear it. Just wear it. Because it's going to be criticized. You're going to have the think pieces. You're going to have the columns. Somebody's going to show up to the press conference and ask questions, have prepared answers, and then after two days, nobody's going to talk about it anymore. That's the thing about these people. I, I hate to I hate to say it like this because it sounds callous, but it's true. The majority of people that will be outraged about this hire don't really care. They like how being outraged makes them feel. Let's be honest about it. Because is anybody writing anything about Hugh Freeze anymore? Nope. But they did for 48 hours. And then poof, gone. Like it never even happened. And now it's all about football. That's all anybody talks about with Hugh Freeze anymore. Ole Miss is going to wear it for 48 hours. And as long as Chris Beard is a good soldier, you're never going to have to hear about it again. Because these people that are going to be mad and, and outraged about this are going to stop caring after two days. They'll focus their attention on somebody else, and that's going to be the end of it. And all you, old Miss, did was what any everybody else does. Because it's not just those examples. I know it was years ago, so it's apples to oranges, but Chris Jans is on video at best inappropriately touching a woman in a bar that wasn't his wife. That cost I, him a job at Bowling Green. So it's, it's, it's everywhere. Wins over morals is a common principle in college sports. Ole Miss is not any worse than anybody else if they go down the road of hiring Chris Beard. It feels kind of, you know, it's uncomfortable for some people. I've heard from some Ole Miss fans that don't like it, and I think shaming them or whatever, and I haven't seen anybody shame those people, would be the wrong path too. You just tell them, hey, hope, hope Coach Beard proves you wrong. Because it's it's just in your feeling if you're uncomfortable with this. I think it's fine to feel that way. But know that th this isn't anything that anybody else doesn't do. Yeah, and that's part of what I was trying to convey earlier. Like, the risk is not the media shitstorm you're going to take on, right? Like, that, whatever. That I mean, you had to know that was coming. There's no really inherent risk about that because you know it's coming, and it's only not really going to affect anything. The risk is what happens in the future in terms of Beard's behavior. But that's what really ultimately this hire comes down to, and that's what put Keith Carter in such a precarious spot, is you had these two guys in Will Wade and Chris Beard who are available, who otherwise probably wouldn't take or consider your job. Definitely in Beard's case, I don't know, Wade, I'd like to see a little more larger sample size at LSU or would like to have. I don't think he's going back there uh, anytime soon. But like, it's you had these two guys that were available that otherwise wouldn't take your job that have two very different types of baggage, right? What Wade did is, you know, border, I mean, it's basically legal now, but he's got the NCA cloud hanging over his head and what happens there. And, you know, even if he skates, if they sanctioned uh, LSU, would Sankey allow him to coach 
another SEC program while the other one is just getting riddled with crippling sanctions? Probably not, and rightfully so. I just don't know how much of a leg Sankey would have had to stand on, um, even if he had tried to obstruct the beard thing. But I guess getting to my point, it's like, Keith Carter is ultimately judged on winning and losing. And that's exactly as you just outlined what the bottom line only thing that matters is in this industry. I know people like to think that it's about more than that, or you'd like to think it's some morally right and that everyone involved at your university or everyone involved at your favorite school or program or team or league or whatever, or all these great people and morally you know, upright people. That's just not really the case. That's not how it works. And in this bottom line, no, if you want that in your college sports, go watch Furman games. Yeah, or, you know, Millsaps, uh, yeah. <laughs> whoever. It's just not really how things roll in this area. I was going to say junior college, but that's even even wilder west than anything else that we uh, in Division <laughs> One sports at times. But, like, <laughs> the point is, you talk about, like, Keith Carter and, like, the risk that he assumes with Beard and, like, that how that affects his future job if something were to happen. Well, I'll tell you what will affect his future job status if the basketball program continues to suck. And, and another coach that he hired, because he played a huge heavy hand in hiring Kermit Davis, doesn't win. That building remains empty. Season ticket sales are down. That's ultimately what he's going to be judged by um, is, you know, how healthy are the athletic programs, particularly the football and the basketball program. And so at the end of the day, if this thing goes through, clearly he weighed the risk of hiring a guy with a baggage like Beard juxtaposed with the likelihood of winning and was willing to take on that risk. And I don't really blame him for it, right? Because you have, you know, the Alabama situation and Brandon Miller is continuing to play basketball, right? I mean, you've got Hugh Freeze over at Auburn. There's all kinds of different examples to point to. And one of the things that's kind of, a, I won't say annoying, but disheartening about this whole thing is I don't really like, engage in kind of like the online fan like dialogue. I think most of it's just a gigantic waste of time. Um, and really kind of stupid, but it turns into this, well, like this is fine because X school did this and Y school did right. that. And like you start getting into this kind of like pissing match or gauging how morally wrong something is. And it's almost like a billion wrongs. Do they make a right or how wrong is this versus this thing? And it just turns into kind of a nasty discussion. But like the way I just say at the end of the day, it is all about winning. And Ole Miss with this hire is saying the quiet part out loud. We are tired of losing. We are tired of losing basketball games. We have a chance to hire a guy that we could not otherwise hire that is in all likelihood going to win at a higher clip than we've ever seen before and is going to do it quickly. And we are cool with kind of taking on the baggage and taking on the immediate media kind of shit storm that is to follow after he is hired. And I, okay, fine. Like, I don't even know where I fall on it myself. Like, would I have hired Chris Beard if I was in that position? I don't know. It's easy for me to say no and take the easier stance of no, not hiring one with baggage. But I'm also not in charge of an athletics program where I played a heavy hand in hiring the last guy who didn't work out. And I'm under a lot of pressure to actually get this thing right. Not to mention Keith Carter's an Ole Miss basketball alum who played in kind of the glory days of Ole Miss basketball. Like, you think he likes walking in that arena every night and seeing no one there? and losing at home and winning one home conference game since January of 2022? Hell no. It probably drives him absolutely nuts. He wants to see it full. He wants to see it winning. And he viewed this as the best best avenue to achieving that. And he's leaving it. You know, if you want to judge him and if you want to say it's wrong and they shouldn't hire Beard, I, I can't knock you for that either, right? You mentioned the Ole Miss fan aspect of it. You know, Neil had a, pull, uh, a segment in his 10 Thoughts column about a week and a half ago where he polled some anonymous female Ole Miss fans, uh, I guess via mostly online feedback, and most of it was pretty negative. And who am I to say that they're wrong for that? Like, I, I, if someone's saying, I don't like this hire, this sucks, this makes you uncomfortable, like this, this blows, I don't support this. 
I, I don't really have a retort. Like they're perfectly fine to feel that way. I think the important distinction is what you pointed out earlier is you mentioned all of the people that are going to be outraged by this don't really care and will eventually move on to something else. That You, of course, are talking about the media people. The right, the media are not people. Yes. Invested in Ole Miss in any way or just kind of in there to take the lob in their shot and keep on the going. The Dan Wilkins of the world. Let's just be completely honest about who this is going to end up being. And those, you're right. That is not really genuine. Do they have a point? Sure. Is it genuine? Probably not. Because, no. you know, in order to play that game from a media standpoint, you have to play that with literally every single thing. Like Brandon Miller, Hugh Freeze. I mean, on and on and on. You basically have to do that with every single, you know, immoral or morally questionable thing in college athletics. And that's almost impossible to do. So that's what makes me think that part of it is not genuine. But to kind of, uh, you know, wind down this rant here, I, I see both sides of it. If an Ole Miss person who's invested in Ole Miss and is an Ole Miss fan doesn't like it, particularly female Ole Miss fans, if they're not comfortable with it, I don't have a great retort to that. They're no. perfectly in their, within their right to feel that way, and I understand it. But I also understand wanting to hire a guy that can win basketball games because that is ultimately what Keith Carter is judged by and will ultimately allow him to continue drawing a paycheck and be the athletic director at his alma mater. Yeah, it, it, and that's – I think I said it here, but just when people try to simplify this situation, that that's I push back on that so much because it's not simple. Because you're right, man. If you're if you're looking at this honestly and with a clear head, it's perfectly justifiable for especially a female Ole Miss fan to be like, I don't like this. It, it, it's perfectly fine and understandable for them to feel that way. It, it is because this is a complicated, nuanced thing. It is. It, you, you can't – I mean, hey, that said on the show yesterday, uh, even though I was off – went back and listened and heard this part. He said, a friend texted me and said, the only reason why Ole Miss can hire Chris Beard is because he got arrested. True. That is definitely true. So that, 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 that creates a complicated thing. However, I think he's going to win. And I think he's going to win big for however long he's at Ole Miss. And it might not be long. And if it's not, okay. That means he stayed out of trouble, was a good soldier, and it means he won big. And for a program that, that that does not win ever, not what is it, nine tournament appearances ever, one Sweet 16 ever, and you built this beautiful new arena, and you've got a well-organized collective. And we've talked about this before. You do have a fan base, while it seems like more Ole Miss fans generally care about baseball, you've got a fan base that is just desperate for winning basketball because they will support it. Remember Kermit's first year? Yes, go, awesome. go back to the Tennessee game in Kermit's first year. In the first half, when Terrence Davis dunked on dude's head, uh, th that environment could not possibly have been better. Every seat was filled. Every person was, well, I say every seat was filled. Every person was standing in front of their seat for an entire game, a game that they lost, by the way. But that environment can be Ole Miss basketball. You have a fan base that can produce something like that consistently, just for whatever reason, geography, money, coaches, all that stuff. It hasn't happened. Here is your opportunity to make that happen. This is your opportunity to make that happen. And Keith Carter, through what you hope is an extensive vetting process, has decided whatever risk there is, it's worth it because the reward is going to be 
a great one. And, you know, when it's all about winning, I understand it, especially. But I think Keith Carter needs, when this happens, if it does happen, he needs to be given so much credit for this, man. Because, look, I've only lived here in Mississippi for 13 years. I say only, that's a long time. Uh, I went to Old Miss, moved into my Ken Cannon dorm in the fall of 2010, and I've lived here ever since. And I've obviously been paying attention to Ole Miss sports ever since. Keith Carter is the first person in that has worked in Ole Miss athletics. So he's the third AD, and, and there have been people under him that under the AD that have come and gone. I think he is the first person that has true power in the athletic department that actually is doing everything he possibly can, no holds barred, to win games. He's taking risks in what they're paying football coaches. He, he, people think that this money grows on trees. That, oh, you can just give Lane Kiffin $9 million and nothing happens. Like, who cares? It's not that simple. They are stretching the limits on financial resources. I say stretching them. They're pushing their financial resources to the limit. Whatever Lane says goes. We'll pay buyouts on a defensive coordinator to hire the guy from Alabama and pay him over $2 million. You want another analyst? Here, have another analyst. I mean, the, and also there's this weird thing happened that like kind of popped up about Keith's hiring of Lane Kiffin. I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. Maybe I don't know what happened. Maybe I've got this wrong. But when people say Keith Carter was forced to hire Lane Kiffin, that's not how I understand it. As, as far as I understand it, he had to tell a lot of extremely powerful people, both in money and name recognition, I'm doing this despite your wishes to tell me not to. He had to tell people, I'm hiring him despite you trying to convince me not to. I don't know where the the, the flip came from because he took a risk there because people, powerful people, told him don't do this, and he did it anyway. Maybe I don't have that understood correctly. Maybe I'm wrong there, but that's how I understand it. And then if he turns around and says, I know that Chris Beard got arrested recently, and it was ugly, but I know that I could never hire a coach this good for basketball otherwise. And so I'm going to do it because, damn it, I think that you can win at Ole Miss, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to win at Ole Miss. And I don't know if there's been many people that have held his position or worked in that office that have believed and operated the same way he does. Sounds like I'm standing for the guy, but his actions tell you that that's what he believes. And I don't think everybody's been on that same page as Keith Carter with, I'm going to do whatever it takes to win risks be damned. No, he's, you're right. He's doing business differently than Ole Miss has really ever done it. I mean, should this beard hire again as we record this midday on a Thursday become official with their big three head coaches are Mike Bianco, Lane Kiffin, and Chris Beard? That's a better big three head coaches <clears throat> than they've ever had in the history of the school uh, at any time, right? I mean, the baseball coach just won a national title. Lane Kiffin wins 10 games in his second year, and then he just hired a coach that made the national title game, what, three years ago? And again, is it in a different league than what you could normally – otherwise higher. And you're right on the Kiffin thing. I actually talked to Carter about this in his office one day after it happened pretty extensively about it. And I don't know the exact details of like, well, who he was under pressure 
with to hire him or vice versa and whatnot. But I do think that like they, he doesn't maybe get enough credit for the autonomy of him deciding to want to make a splash and him deciding to want to do it. I think that when he got on the plane to Boca that night and talked to Kiffin at whatever hotel they were at down there and then flew back, I think he became enamored with the idea of, Hey, this needs, this program needs an injection of life. It needs to make a splash. And I think he did it because of that. I, I don't know who else was influencing him again, we probably won't ever know the exact answers to that, but I do think he probably doesn't get quite enough credit for, you know, his own autonomy of making that decision on his own. I mean, it was ultimately his decision, obviously, but like, yes, there is kind of a narrative out there of like he was forced to do it, or there's this groundswell of support with the fan base and whatnot. And, you know, with the second candidate being a lie of Drinkwitz, it was like, no, no, you have to go hire Lane Kiffin. Well, Again, that, I don't know Eli what happened Drinkwitz there. was at best his third candidate because Mike Norvell was. And so was Will Healy. By the way, talk about a, a star that fizzled out pretty quickly. He was in the mix there as well, which is imagine what the football program would have been there. But you're right. Like they, they're doing business differently and he's prioritizing winning um, yes. and hiring big time people and spending the money and putting the resources in place to win more so than anyone's done in the past at Ole Miss, which I think at the end of the day is ultimately what will draw more support, right? I mean, look, I do think there will be a little bit of a splinter or a fracture among the basketball support of this hire or not. But if Chris Beard wins, people are going to buy season tickets. People are going to fill that arena up, as you just mentioned. Hell, Kermit's second year, they still had some pretty good crowds. Like that team got off to a really bad start, kind of make a uh, kind of made a um a Sorry, I got a notification on my phone. I lost my train of thought. Kind of made a uh, late charge in February. And they had some electric games in there. It was, I want to say Tennessee came back the next year. Maybe it was Kentucky or someone. And the building was electric then. Basically from COVID on, it's just been kind of a morgue in there. Um, and part of that was the one year they were competitive. You couldn't really go to the games. And then the two non-competitive years after that. And so now, again, with all of this baggage and all this conversation aside, if and when Chris Beard wins, I think you're going to get an influx of season tickets bought before it happens. He was the one guy, maybe Will Wade being the other, that you could hire and people would be excited about it from a basketball standpoint from day one before they ever actually play a competitive game in terms of a spike in season ticket sales. I'm not a betting man. I don't know. the. I'm not an expert in this, but I would bet you're going to see a season ticket spike if this becomes the hire because – people are interested he's a big time coach and you know it, you can just tell from reading our message board and things like that that it'll reinvigorate an interest in basketball that was severely lacking and I think the last piece of this that's important to address is you mentioned hey dad said on the show the only reason that Chris Beard hired Ole Miss could hire Chris Beard is the manner in which he got fired from Texas right he gets arrested he gets fired from Texas for a cause well the other piece of that too the only reason they can actually hire him is because the charges got dropped and he doesn't have any pending legal matters right if this was still ongoing or the charges yes. stuff you can't hire Chris Beard maybe you can five years down the road I don't know how that plays out and in the court of public opinion and forgiveness and how that would be portrayed but you you certainly couldn't do it right now. But again, as I wrote last week, even the fact that the charges got dropped, I've seen a little bit of this where it's like, you know, open and shut case Car charges got dropped. You can hire him into story. It's like, well, sort of like it, be it becomes hireable, I guess, in some senses, but it's a lot more complicated than that. I mean, I have the police affidavit up right here. Just because the charges got dropped does not absolve him from any responsibility or any, um, I guess responsibility is the right word because I don't know if guilt would be the right legal term. Again, not an attorney here, but of what happened that night. I mean, look, while on the scene, the, 
the officer stated that the following, or excuse me, uh, the victim stated the following injuries from tonight's assault by Christopher. Bite mark on the right forearm with visible teeth marks and redness. Abrasion to the right elbow temple area. Abrasion slash scrape to her left leg from her knee to her foot. Cut to her left thumb with dried blood. Additionally, officers observed these wounds as well. Scratches on the back, scratches, scratch to the right eye, bite mark to the right arm, abrasion and bruises to the left leg, cut to the left hand. Um, you know, that, that That's still there. Like Again, charges didn't stick. That doesn't mean nothing happened that night. And I don't know what happened that night. Again, I wasn't there. Again, he claimed self-defense. She recanted and said she agreed that, that it was self-defense and that she initiated it. Does that actually mean that that was the case? Of course not, unless you just want to dubiously believe that and choose to be kind of willfully ignorant to the fact that something more complicated likely happened there. Like, there is still very real reasons to not hire him, and I think the police affidavit and what was documented to happen that night is evidence enough of that. And there's more reservations to that, which, again, gives credence to the people that aren't comfortable with this hire. Again, I don't have anything for you. I, that's that's yeah. perfectly justifiable viewpoint to have. But again, from an Ole Miss standpoint, I get it as well. You need to hire a guy that wins. And without reiterating the point over and over again, the last thing I'll close with on this is, despite all of that being the case, the charges being dropped allowed him to hire him. And the thing about it is, at the end of the day, when you talk about this ecosystem where winning matters above all else, and it's really the only thing that matters with kind of morals taking to a back taking a back seat, someone else was going to hire Chris Beard this coaching cycle. Someone else was going to do it. I guarantee it. He was going to have a head coaching gig somewhere next year, unless for whatever reasons he took the Huggins route where Huggins sticks around for another year and he takes over after Bob Huggins retires. I'd seen some buzz about that. Point being, someone was going to hire Chris Beard. Why not Ole Miss, right? What if he got hired by another SEC program? I don't necessarily know of another job that's going to open up. You could have someone leave for another job, Cal, Kentucky thing. I don't think Kentucky would look at Chris Beard, but you get my point. There could be some unforeseen attrition, but it's a relatively light job field. That's also something that's worked Ole Miss's favor. They had six, had six jobs opened up in the league last year. You might have Ole Miss as the only one. I would bet there's probably, again, at least one other yeah, but that you don't foresee, but nothing obvious. So that's a light market, which worked Ole Miss's advantage as well. And so a point being, someone was going to hire him. And if he went somewhere else and won and Ole Miss missed out on that opportunity, right, wrong or indifferent, people are going to look at that and make missed opportunity there. And that's going to kind of be a knock against Keith Carter, particularly if whomever he hired didn't work out. So again, at right. the end of the day, someone else was going to hire him. Why not Ole Miss? And from that standpoint, I totally get that rationale. I do too. And, you know, th there's no reason to spin it. Th this is Ole Miss. Like you said, they want to win. This is a hire that they are making for no other reason than they think that this guy can win and they hope nothing happens again. And through whatever vetting process they did, they were comfortable enough with the expectation that it won't happen again to, to hire him. That's all it is. There's no, you know, I, I had a guy text me. and was like, what happened to second chances or, somebody texted into the radio show about Jesus. not all second chances are created equal. Well, well that for sure. And, and somebody texting the radio show about, well, Jesus talks about forgiveness. And I, and I said, you know, Keith Carter's not a pastor. Ole Miss athletics, the university of Mississippi is not a church. It's a, it's an institution of higher learning and an athletic department. Don't, don't go with that. Just the guy can win. He will win. I, I would get, you should never guarantee anything. Should never speak in absolutes. I would get close to guaranteeing that Chris Beard would win at Ole Miss right away. 
Like that's how highly I think of him as a basketball coach. So that's all it is. You hope it doesn't happen again. Whatever happened, you hope it doesn't happen again. And you hired him because he's going to win. And that's all. And if people want to call you morally repugnant or whatever, let them do that. What? I'm repeating myself again. That is going to last a couple of days. And if it's basically anybody in the SEC, you have something to point to. Glass houses, everybody lives in them. You should not throw stones. And that's what people are going to do. Just wear it for a little while, and then when it's over, nobody's going to care, and you're going to win basketball games. That That's what it's going to be. And if it doesn't happen again, good to go. And it's the classic case of, I mean, in anything, you see this in sports all the time. If your talent outweighs your baggage, you are going to get another opportunity. It's why uh, Joe Mixon is playing football for the Cincinnati Bengals. It's why Deshaun Watson. It's why Craig Carton got a job at WFAN fresh out of prison. Exactly. He went to prison. He defrauded people for millions of dollars in a ticket scheme, and he gets out of prison and right back on the air. Why? Because for some reason, a lot of people find him very entertaining. I don't, but doesn't matter. He sells at the, in New York. People love him, and so he gets out of prison, and nobody cares. Yeah, I mean, Deshaun Watson got a fully guaranteed contract amidst the middle of a very gross mas- – I mean, I'm not going to go into the details of it, but the massage parlor thing, uh, or masseuse, there, whatever you want to call it. And a couple dozen is, women is, accused him of something. Which is – yeah, it was just completely screwed up the quarterback market, by the way. Which is working to uh, Deshaun, uh, excuse me, Lamar Jackson's benefit. But point being, if your talent outweighs your baggage, you are more likely to get another opportunity. And again, it comes down to someone was going to hire him. If Beard was a 500 coach, one, he probably wouldn't be at Texas anyway. But like, if he had made one NCAA tournament at Texas Tech and had not gone to the NCAA tournament yet and was just kind of your run of the mill coach, he's probably not getting hired again. But the reason he's getting hired is because he wins everywhere. And that's about as simple as I can put it. And Ole Miss is now. Whatever you think about the hire from a moral standpoint, in a better position to win basketball games at a higher level immediately than they ever have been perhaps in their history. This is, on paper, the best coach they've ever hired, the most accomplished coach they've ever hired in the program's history. And now we'll kind of see how it plays out. And if Beard behaves and it kind of keeps on his P's and Q's, then it'll probably all end up working out fine. And this will kind of be a Flip on the radar, you know, not a small one per se, but if he everything continues to fall in line and he continues to do the right things and stays out of trouble, then it will all probably end up being fine. The last thing I wanted to get to on this aspect of it is how they package this. Because again, as we record this kind of at the lunch hour on Thursday, I don't know when an announcement's going to come. I don't know when they're going to do the press conference, but I'm curious to see how they roll this out and how they present this. Um, you know, if I were doing the PR, I'd want to do this as quickly as possible. I'd want to I'd want to announce it as soon as Ole Miss lost on Tuesday afternoon to Tennessee. And then if I could have a press conference on Friday or Monday at the absolute latest, there's a lot going on in the college basketball ecosystem right now. The quicker you can get this done and in and out, the quicker it's going to disappear in the news cycle. For example, if you have this on Friday, one, it's a Friday. I think with the internet, the Friday news dumps a little bit overrated, but people aren't as plugged into stuff on a Friday afternoon as they are on a Monday. There's still some credence to that. And then you're going to go through conference tournament weekend. You're going to have selection Sunday, and then you're going to have four days of the NCAA tournament. So seven calendar days later, the odds of anyone talking about Chris Beard being hired at Ole Miss, probably slim to none. Probably similar case if you do it on Monday, but I wouldn't drag this sucker out. I would not announce it and then wait three, four days, get your P's and Q's in order or whatever is needed, and then do the press conference. I would do this as quickly as possible. And then the second part of that is, 
How they address this in the press conference is going to be fascinating to me. They're going to need to one bet prepare him um, for you know all of the questions that could possibly come because he will get asked about it and he will have to address it. I don't know how he plans to do that, but how they rolled this whole thing out is fascinating to me. I don't know if you've thought about that at all. Uh, not as much as you have apparently, because uh, to me it's just just do it. Just yeah, ha- have you know sit down with your people. Uh, you, you know you hope that there's something tangible that you can point to. Not that Keith Carter needs to lay out what they did in vetting, but th- that he can, we looked into this and there, there's no, like, he never tried to contact the woman involved. You know, that, that to where if somebody like a 40 gets that, that's not a good look. You, you hope that they have dotted their I's and crossed their T's on all of that. And if they have, then just have your press conference have the questions that you know you're going to get prepared ahead of time for for Chris Beard. Wear it for a day or two, and then the tournament's going to start, and nobody's going to give – forgive my language – nobody's going to give a shit anymore. No, you're exactly right. So, so just, just kind of do it as you would with a little bit of extra prep, and then go through it, take your lumps. Some of them – like the – Hugh Freeze's press conference. Everybody wrote a bunch of stuff about Hugh Freeze when he got hired. I watched the entire thing. He wasn't challenged at all on anything. No. I mean, these guys, these guys, I don't know if coward's the right word, but you write the strong stuff and you have a chance to ask him about it, and then you don't. You choose not to. So, I mean, there's a chance they don't even show up, and if they do, they're probably not going to be combative or anything because they're they're only strong when they're typing. And so what really is going to happen in your announcement press conference that can do anything other than just move it along and end the story when it's over? Yeah, and like the the other aspect of it, this too, is it's like the the due diligence part. Like I saw a couple people online making fun of like the due diligence piece of it. And I get that to some degree, right? Every single time something like this happens, like, well, we did our due diligence and we feel comfortable with this. It's like, well, you wanted to hire the guy because he wins games. So what exactly does that due diligence entail? Like, I like, and I always, I'm getting curious about that. And to me, just on the surface, my first instinct is making sure that all the information's out there and that you're not going to get some, no one's going to dig anything up after the fact, after he gets hired, like you have to know everything that's out there. That is every piece of information that is available or could become publicly available about the situation. So you are not blindsided with something else after the fact. I, I can't even think of a hypothetical with uh, like to make up because I don't know exactly what it would be, but like it can't be a situation where you hire a beard and then two months later, some reporter digs FOIA's whatever the police report or something or find someone else that's willing to talk or whatever and some other very graphic or gruesome detail that you didn't know about gets left out and then all of a sudden like it wasn't forgotten about you've got another kind of shit storm on your hands you know two and a half months later i think that's what the due diligence is right the due diligence is not hmm you know does this guy meet the standard for us to hire him? You want to hire him because he wins basketball games. Your your due diligence is not some moral gauge. It's just collecting all the information, making sure you have all your bases covered once you make the hire so you're not blindsided, right? That's essentially what we're doing here. I say we, if you're Keith Carter in the athletic department. Pretty much, yeah. That's uh, that's all it is. And I, I, I assume that they would have all of that done. I mean, if you believe what people say, when there's no reason not to, they... It took them a while to. It took them a while to get comfortable with the possibility of hiring him. It took them a while to get to the point where it's like, hey, maybe we can do this. It wasn't like Keith was like, you know what, screw it, let's just hire him. Whatever. It was. I I could have this wrong because again, 
I, I this has been hard to to get information on anyway. I've been wrong before. I will be wrong again. However, it sounds like they went into it. I think I said this earlier. I may not have that they went into it expecting to be turned off and decide to go another direction. And the more they did it, the more they were able to stomach it. And then we're like, you know, maybe we should. I agree. I don't think there's anything else like to it. So it's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out and kind of the immediate future of it. But it's, it's certainly from a content perspective an exciting hire, because I think, you know, the odds of, of, of us having a five or myself having a five week content void between football and baseball season because basketball is irrelevant after December 20th is probably pretty low now. I think you're going to have some meaningful basketball to talk about, you know, during the heat of basketball season, what a novel concept there uh, in the near future after you make this hire. So I can't wait to kind of see how this plays out. It's going to be very fascinating. Uh, Looking around elsewhere, you know, you guys cover obviously Ole Miss State and Southern Miss. Um, The other two programs in the state are doing pretty well and pretty healthy basketball programs. I've seen stayed on the firmly on the bubble. They're one of the last four in. I think Jans has done a wonderful job with the roster that he's inherited. Those guys play hella good defense. I can't believe I just say hella good. I meant to say yes, hella good, but now I'm just a Gen Zer. So uh, find me on TikTok. Um, but he they play great defense. They can't score for anything. But I think it's pretty impressive that he's in the mix for the NCAA tournament in year one because honestly, he's kind of where Howland peaked. I know they had that one year where they were pretty firmly in. They ended up losing out in the West Coast to Liberty the same year Ole Miss got in the tournament. But, like, in year one, he's doing basically, like, the peak of what Howen did. He's a good basketball coach. I guess to package that into a question, what do they have to do to get in the tournament? You think they got to win one game up there to feel safe? Beat Florida. Yeah, and that uh, – yeah, beat Florida today. If they lose it – you know, if you believe Joey Brackets, which you should, they're, like, still in the last four in. And as you know, when these conference tournaments happen, their big Steelers are going to happen and – no, you, you, they they got to win this game today. But what, what's interesting about him is it's not like he turned the entire roster over with a bunch of high level portal guys. It's kind of the same guys. Yeah, and you know, it, some state fans take exception to me when I say this, but it's not a good roster. And they're like, "Yes, it is." You don't know? No, it's not. You 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 hope that this isn't as good as he can do roster wise. They can't score the basketball. They have no shooters. They have. No true ball handlers, honestly. I mean, they, they really don't. They really struggle, uh, like in offensive sets because they have nobody that's confident enough on the ball uh, to command an offense. They've got a good big that has not taken a three point shot this season. He's zero for zero. So he's a traditional 1980s big that's a really good player. But outside of him, they win games because they outwork people and play really good defense. It's not a good roster. It's not a team that should be playing in the NCAA tournament, but they work people to death and they defense people to death. And he's done a hell of a job with a team that wasn't any good last year and took the same kids and made them good. John Rothstein's pretty apt at the description thing. Some people find this thing corny. I think it's kind of funny. I think I he's like him. That upset. I like him too. He's harmless. He's very, he loves college basketball. But the whole Chris uh, Chris Jans, uh, the dentist thing, it, didn't he do that? That's a Rothsteinism, right? Yeah. yeah that's because, a very because every time you play a Chris Jans coach team, it's like you're getting a root canal. It really is an apt description. I mean, like that Ole Miss game, Ole Miss was kind of up in that game early in the second half. That game in Starkville, I should say, the first one, because I didn't watch a second of the second one. Oh, I'll say, take that back. I watched the ending. It did feel like that. Like, they just wear on you. So the, the whole root canal dentist thing is a very apt description for him. And he's done a hell of a job in year one. And 
I guess to kind of take that back to the beard part of it too, this is a hellish league, man. You've got you've got uh, Musselman rolling at Arkansas. You've got Oates at Alabama. You've now got Jans at State. You've got Bruce Pearl at Auburn. Um, you've got uh, Bruce uh, Rick Barnes at Tennessee. Like to go in the mid major route again and hiring an unproven guy when you're going up against this type of competition, what the modern day SEC is. It's just a tough, tough uphill battle to climb. Like you need a little more firepower, which I think gives credence from a basketball sense to this hire on its own right. What uh, well, how far are y'all into the baseball coverage so far this year? Though there have been a ton of like uber competitive games by either old Mister State so far this year, but um, it's been an interesting dynamic so far. I guess we'll start with the state side. They, they got an offense that looks pretty good in spots, but they can't get anybody out. What's up there? Will they figure it out? That they've they've made a change at third base. At least it seems like they have because their third baseman was fielding seven fifty. That's not great in college baseball. Um, as a team, they're like nine fifty fielding, and and it feels worse than that. Uh, they've got a good offense, uh, but the issue with them is that offense is going to have to score twelve runs a game if they're going to win SEC games right now. Now things can change, but their best pitcher is a true freshman, the ambidextrous Gerundulo. I mean, he's electric, by the way. I love that guy so much fun to watch. He's awesome to watch, but he's a true freshman. How do you know how he's going to respond in SEC play? And and otherwise, it's it's bad. It's not even like, oh, there's some potential here. And there might be they could grow, but it's bad, man. They um, their starting catcher has given up 20 stolen bases so far this season. The backup has given up six. So they, they walk too many guys. I think they walk 20 guys in the in Frisco in three games. Um, so they walk people. They are the worst fielding team in the SEC by a very significant margin. And, like, they can't hold anybody on base at the plate. And so even if they get a little bit better on the mound, if all of those things have to change, right? Like, oh, if you play better defense, you're going to start winning. Not really because you're still not good on the mound. It's it's kind of a disaster right now, relatively speaking, because it's not like they've played a difficult schedule, right? They played Arizona State, who got swept by UC Irvine last weekend. Um, they have a loss to Louisiana Monroe. They have a loss to VMI, who won 16 games last year. They got beat by not a good Ohio State team. They got blitzed by Oklahoma. I mean, this they are in... They're in trouble right now, and coming off of winning nine conference games and finishing last in the West, things can change. They always tend to do that in sports, but I have no confidence in that team right now to be better and and win a bunch of games and be formidable because we're now going on a second year of looking the same. And I know they were injury-riddled last year, so it's not really fair, but injuries shouldn't make you a dead-last nine-win team. I've seen this conversation pop up in some state circles and in some state people that I know in my life is, is if he misses the tournament again, and again, it's a long season, they could turn it around. Like, I mean, if there's one program that deserves the benefit of the doubt of turning it around and figuring out, it's certainly Mississippi state's program. But like, I've seen this a lot. I talked about a lot. If he misses the NSA tournament again, is, is there any way he's getting fired? Cause I mean, that's a, that's a program that doesn't really tolerate stuff like that. Right. I mean, it's one of the better programs in college baseball. They won a national championship two years ago. If he misses the tournament coming off, finishing last in the sec is, is his job in jeopardy at all? Where they do the whole clean house on the assistants and he gets another year. Like how, what's the read on that? There are fans that think his job should be in jeopardy. If it continues this way, I just, I, 
and maybe they're just in their thinking with how much you invest in baseball there you cannot finish last and then also again have a losing record and and continue to to coach but he's not even two years removed from winning the schools, not the programs, the school's only team sport national championship. He's not even two years removed from the only one the entire school has ever won before. And you're really going to fire that guy. Not even two years removed from that. Boy, Colin made a good point the other day. He was like, if this is LSU, he's probably fired. And I was like, you know, I never really thought about that, but you might be right. Like, you know what I mean? If he did this at LSU, he might be. It's kind of crazy. It's a weird dynamic. But if it continues on this path, I mean, it's a great job and somebody will take it. But I, I, maybe you shouldn't make decisions this way. I would be fearful of what that tells people about your job. Yeah, no kidding. It's a great job. It is. But the, the scholarship thing still isn't there yet. So you're still playing with kind of a, a shorter stack than than other people. I know it's complicated, but it, it's not like everything is equal. It is a great job, but almost every job in the SEC is a great job. Ole Miss is a great job. LSU is a great job. Arkansas is a great job. Tennessee is becoming a great job. South Carolina is a great job. Florida is a great job. I, I mean, so... Yes, it is a very, very good one. They go to Omaha often, but so does everybody else in your league. So when, when oh, well, my my colleague Brian Haydad thinks that they should, if they were to move on from Chris Lamonis, their only candidate should be guys that have made College World Series appearances. It's like, those guys that are doing that there, are they really going to jump to a place that fired the national championship winning coach two years later? Are they going to do that? And who is that at this point that's not already in the SEC? Like, Schlossnagel was the big one. I know Dan McDonald at Louisville was probably in there. But, like, outside of those two guys, like, who who is that these days? Butch. Oh, that's – yeah, okay. That's and that, that's a guy that probably would take the job because, that, like, I was approaching for the general sense of, like, you know, Slosh is not taking the job leaving A&M. Like, it, it just no. wouldn't make a ton of sense, right? TCU to state would make more sense, right? Uh, Dan McDonald, I, I don't know, seems very happy at Louisville. I don't know if he'd do it or he wouldn't do it. Butch probably would do it. That's a good point. But the, like, it is a very slim menu if that is your standard and your expectation and uh, for a candidate, right? There's just not that many guys out there. So, I don't know. You got a long season ahead, but it's very interesting to see how that's kind of played out in the you year. You shouldn't count them out. No. But, but man, it's been bad. It's been really bad. They're not losing games. And maybe it is talent, but that's not why they're losing games. They're losing games because of errors, walks, stolen bases. That's, that's why they're losing. It's frustrating the way it will lose, right? Like how it looks matters in all of this, too. And like that's, that's, that makes it even more difficult to stomach, right? In the manner in which they're losing. It seems very agonizing from the little I've watched. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And um, I mean, they've got, uh, who is it, Lipscomb this weekend? Maybe it's a get right. And I think they start conference play with Kentucky. So there's some, yeah. some chances to, you know, get some wins and get confident and then not have a third baseman fielding uh, at a 75% clip. So, you know, maybe those things can change a little bit. But for now, it's brutal. Well, you mentioned it looks worse with the non-fielding fielding percentage. A little college baseball tip. Uh, that's because it is. College baseball is very friendly with the errors and and the fielding percentages. Fielding percentages are largely nonsense in college baseball. So if it's bad and it looks worse or it seems worse, it's probably because it actually is worse than that. So, like, you know if you got a fielding issue, you're only fielding 950. you got a real problem in the field there. From the Ole Miss side of it, what have you made of Ole Miss so far? I 
They got some good news on the Hunter Elliott front, although I don't know how much of a guarantee that is when he comes back that he is kind of Hunter Elliott and how quickly he becomes that. But they've got they've beaten Maryland, who I think is a pretty good team that will probably win the Big Ten. I don't know how if they're a really good team. Um, their offense is destroying people, particularly when they get into bullpens and get into average, you know, D1 pitching. They're really just destroying teams. I already thought they were kind of a pitcher or two short with the Mallets injury. Who knows what to make of Rally Maddox? He's on the roster. He's dressing out. I think that's a good sign. But it seems like they're just kind of in survival mode till Elliott comes back. But, man, they're going to have to get into SEC play and get better on the rotation. Like, Grayson Sarnier went five innings last weekend, which I thought was a good sign. 11 strikeouts, two walks. He's shown really flashes of, like, okay, this kid's – like, you see why he's so talented and so highly regarded. Yeah. But for freshmen, the SEC is a different beast. They're going to have to get more length out of their starters when they enter conference play. Like, I think they're a pretty good team that could peak as a really good team if all the pieces fall in line. But it feels like they're kind of treading in some dangerous waters just from an injury standpoint. Um, And the beginning part of conference play is going to be very interesting for this team. They're going to have to rely on their offense. They need an elite five-week stretch to start conference play from their offense, which is capable of doing it. But whether it happens, who the hell knows? Yeah, and – they are absolutely capable of doing that. You're going to have those nights, though, which always happen where you're going to run into a guy that's got really good stuff and he's going to shut you down. And, and can you match that? I don't know if they've got the guys that today can do that. Doherty looked really good, uh, I think, in, in Minneapolis. I, I, we had people texting the show about his start after his quote-unquote first start. Like, they were concerned. And, and I thought, after seeing him last season in bigger spots – pitch better than that you shouldn't be worried that the guy had an off night like he was getting really he was getting squeezed too and it was frustrating him a little bit he's gonna be fine it, missing him from the pen is a problem but him in that role I think is fine uh so he's got the ability to do that but I'm with you I think that th- there's a chance that the beginning of conference play it doesn't go as well as fans hope but then you're looking up five weeks from now and and they're just mashing people and Elliot comes back and if he's good enough then they're going to start getting hot at the right time and all of those don't let the Rebs get hot things will happen again and and there'll be a team that you just are terrified to see come postseason play that's the most likely path here I think I I'm kind of following that camp as well and like the Doherty thing's interesting because you know, they're largely asking him to do something he's never done before I understand he started game one of the national title series and gave them a really great competitive five innings and had made some spot starts in years past, but he really been kind of a Swiss Army knife reliever back into the bullpen guy. Like the 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 start at um in Minneapolis against Maryland, that was the first time he'd gone six innings in his entire career. That was the longest outing ever. So I get the reservations because it's not because of whether or not he's capable of it. It's just something he's never done before. And to, unless you've been in that arena a few times and done it, it's a tough deal on Friday nights in the SEC. And like we had debated, like would they be better off trying to find someone else, like a JT Quinn? Or do you move Revis somehow to Friday night and just try to survive off that? And ultimately, we decide and put Doherty on the back end of the bullpen to give yourself a little more stability back there. Because right now, it's Mason Nichols and a bunch of, I don't know, we're going to have to go to Sam Takoy and, um, and just kind of piece the rest of it together because there's just not a lot of proven guys. And we ultimately decided, no, that's not the answer because Mike doesn't really put freshmen on Friday nights in the SEC. He just doesn't. And there's no other option. You're either talking about Sonier Quinn, two freshmen, or Xavier Rivas, who seems like a good but very Sunday-ish pitcher at the SEC. So I don't think they have the option to do that, but it was an interesting hypothetical. It's just a weird it's a weird thing because they return a lot at the plate, but you you only have two guys on the team that pitched double-digit innings last year now that Elliott's out. 
um, it, on that Omaha team. So it's like you're really trying to find it with some younger guys and how quickly that comes together will probably kind of tell the tale for this well, team. And I like how Mike has managed this too. I, I saw some people criticizing, you know, leaving guys in too long. And I thought he's got to know what they what they have. He's got to know if they can power through this stuff because you're going to go to College Station and you're going to walk a guy and they're going to be doing that ball five, ball five, and then you throw another one in the dirt and it's going to be, you know, 5,000 people, balls. You've got to know if you've got a guy here that has the mental fortitude that can give up a tank bomb or walk a guy and then shut it all off and strike a guy out or whatever and get out of an inning. And the only way you know that they're capable of doing that is if you let them give up a double and then another double and then give him the next batter and see what he does about it. That's the only way to know what kind of mental makeup these kids have. I've liked how he's managed this. You've seen a ton of arms because he's got to figure out which of these young guys can give him something because conference play starts in two weeks. When the pressure is on, who has shown you that their head is still going to be in it? They can lock in, give up a big hit, and then turn around and get a guy out and, and keep you in the game. There's only one way to find that out, and leaving guys in too long is an old criticism. Not valid this season, I don't think. No, and he always figures it out. Like that that is the one that for all the criticisms of Mike Bianco, even pre-national title, he always figures out the pitching. Last year was a master class in that. And the few examples, like oh, 11 comes to mind, a little bit in 07, even though that team actually made a super regional. The only times where it doesn't actually really get figured out is when they literally just don't have the people. They don't have the bodies. They don't have the depth. Like they're just not capable. Like there's never, I can't ever really think of a time where they've had his lost season because he's mismanaged the pitching despite having three or four dudes that were capable. Like he always figures that out. And this is going to be another tough test for him. And I'm curious to see kind of where they go for bullpen rolls and things like that. Last thing before I let you go, rough stretch for the Pels, man. Um, a team that was once 23 and 12, got a big win last night against Dallas. Now yeah. what, 32 and 34, just a weird year. And I hate it because the Zion thing's so exciting, but is this dude ever going to play basketball consistently? It sucks, man. Because he it does went, suck. And, and people are calling him a bust, and I understand where that's coming from. But when he plays, he is one of the best players in the league. But that's the qualifiers when he plays. I saw a stat. So, so what was he averaging like twenty nine per game on sixty percent shooting or whatever when he pulled when he had that hamstring strain? And there was an NBA doctor that said eighty one percent of hamstring injuries in the NBA get re-aggravated in the recovery process. Ooh. So so that happened to him, obviously, and they said two more weeks before there's a chance he gets back on the court. This roster is built around him, and when he doesn't play and then Ingram gets hurt again, it's like they get so – they've had such bad injury luck where the continuity's gone and they've – what lost 17 of the last 23 or something like that and have basically free fallen. Ingram got hurt again last night. I mean, it's it's a disaster, and injuries are mostly to blame for it. But on the other hand, how can you blame injuries for it? Like, well, Zion's hurt. That's why they're not playing well. When has he given you a full season of health? Right. So it's frustrating as hell. Luckily, the West is all jumbled up, and we have the weakest schedule in all of the NBA for the rest of the season. So – Maybe we can uh, get out of the play in, get Alvarado back, get Larry Nance back, get Zion back, and then make some noise. But it's been hell. <laughs> it's been so hard to watch. What do you do with them long term? 
I mean, I guess well, he's already signed his extension. So you just have to cross your fingers and hope he gets healthy. And the, the, what sucks, man, is he was in good shape. Like that wasn't a weight. He dropped injury. the weight. He dropped the weight. He physically looked good and still got hurt. So I, I don't know. I mean, you, you've got to, if you're New Orleans, you got to take the risk. Uh, like I, I forget, I think it was Nick Wright or something that was like, you can't hire, sign him to an extension before he did because he doesn't stay on the court. It's like, it's New Orleans, man. Yeah. They've won two playoff series since I adopted them in 2014. Two series. Like, that. that's it. It's, um, you, you have to take a risk on him. You, you have to sign him and, and just hope he gets healthy because you don't get talent like him otherwise. The only way you get players to want to come play there is if C.J. McCollum is aging and you're willing to give him more than he would have gotten elsewhere. That's how you get good players at a place like New Orleans. So when you're able to draft one, you just have to do it regardless of the injury situation. Had to get a little Pelicans corner in before we wrapped up. I hope they turn it around. They were a very entertaining story last year, and I hope just for Zion's sake from a health bet that he gets it right. He is Michael Borky. Check him out, Sports Talk Mississippi 3-6. to six. Check out the live stream Sunday night and Wednesday evenings. I appreciate the time, my man. We'll check in, I'm sure, sometime for football season. And uh, sure. always enjoy chopping it up, dude. Anytime, man. And that'll do it for our show today. Always appreciate Michael's time. Enjoy having him on, chopping it up about whatever's happening uh, in the state of Mississippi sports-wise. We'll talk to him again, I am sure, before football season and at some point throughout the summer as well. Uh, as for the upcoming podcast schedule, we'll have Colin on for our usual Sunday baseball conversation after Ole Miss series against Purdue as they wrap up non-conference play. And then I've got Bracken Ray on standby. Uh, we will do a podcast as soon as the Beard News becomes official and depending on when the press conference actually it is we may schedule it either before or after that still kind of up in the air but i've instructed bracken to be on standby not to sleep not to uh ignore all obligations with family and friends and just be preparing for the podcast in the meantime so he's waiting in the wings and we'll have him on at some point if this hire does become uh, a public reality so anyway we'll have a couple more pods for you here in the coming days and uh, we'll probably talk to you again on sunday